Welcome to Chowder and Grits. I'm Justin Coachola alongside Tim Hearth, and we have got a huge slate of ACC football talk to get to. Tim, what's going on? Not a lot, man. You know, uh, it's getting cold. I think we're we're getting ready for a winter storm based on the amount of bread, eggs, and milk I saw at the grocery store. So um, tightening up our chin straps, getting ready for that, getting ready for the holiday season, and uh, ready to talk some football, man. So I don't I don't mean to be a cold snob, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, but what is what is getting cold mean for you? Well, here in the southeast, that's when your temperatures get kind of close to freezing. Um, obviously, oh, okay. obviously, I know for a guy like you that uh, that's going to be a little different when you're gearing up for a winter storm up there in Chicago. But around here, uh, you know, we're we're hovering around 34 right now, 35. It's getting oh. a little chilly. So. Uh, yeah, getting close to freezing is like springtime for Chicago. <laughs> so I'm actually yeah. I'm going to the uh, Green Bay Chicago game next week, and uh, it's in Chicago. I'm a big Packers fan, and uh, it's going to be about 35 degrees. And I was blown Ooh. away. I was like, "Wow, I I might actually wear shorts." Balmy. I mean, it hasn't been 35 degrees in in weeks. So. Yeah, you're you're by far the most uh, winter hardened. Southeasterner I've ever met. Um, you're fitting, yeah, right, fitting I, right in up there, man. Virginia to Dallas. So Dallas, you don't really have winter. And then from Dallas to Chicago, talk about culture Ooh. shock, man. Jeez. Yeah. Now, you, you've seen all sides of the dice and in every end of the gamut. And, uh, you know, winter's not so bad down here. But up there, yeah, I just couldn't imagine doing it, man. Respect to you. Yeah. All right. So, uh Man, I don't even know where to start this week. We have had quite a few things pop up since we met last week, but a couple of things. I think there are 11 out of 14 teams that received a bowl bid in the ACC, so we're going to touch on that. I, you know, I'd say it was probably a down year for the ACC as a whole. For sure. But always good to have that many teams get a get a bowl bid. Uh Louisville and Georgia Tech have hired their head coaches, and uh, a couple of good ones, I think. So we'll definitely uh, touch base on those. Jalen Hurt and Tua do it again. So mm-hmm. we will touch on that in a second. But, man, it's it's got to be a rough time for Georgia fans out there right now. Man. And uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the one thing I want to I wanna talk about before jumping into recap of championship weekend, and I know he's not an ACC guy, but I want to talk about it. Urban Meyer, quote unquote, retiring. <laughs> yeah, quote unquote, um, definitely the key there. Um, stepping down, as they say. Stepping down. Yeah. Doesn't think he'll coach again. Uh, to be honest, I didn't bother listening to the press conference because anything he says, I don't believe. Right. Uh, he's He's proven to be... I mean, I, this is like the third time he's retired, right? Right. I mean, and didn't he it, retire yeah. after a loss in like 09 at Florida? Mm-hmm, sure did. And he cited he medical reasons. Back. And um, I, I think he even threw out the medical reasons again uh, for the most recent step down. But, um, yeah, that's kind of becoming his MO. Um, you know, I'm sure, you know, scandal will follow in his wake as usual. Um, interesting to see. I know you got to be a... You know, if you're a Wolverine up there in, in Big Ten country, you're just happy as you can be with this one. Uh, you know, Michigan obviously struggled with Ohio State recently, and Urban Meyer just looked like he had no intentions of ever losing to them. So, uh, you know, Harbaugh's a happy man this weekend. Yeah, you know, my, my whole thing with him this year, I wasn't surprised to see him step down, but I was very... uh surprised at the rhetoric around oh you know it's really kind of uh just about health issues you know this is we constantly hear health issues around urban meyer and i'm not his doctor i'm not saying they're not there i'm sure he's got some kind of migraine issue going on but it seems like they pop up a lot more when things are other things are going on around the program and so obviously this year with the whole zach smith situation um, that was seen as a distraction. He had the three game suspension. You know, he had a couple of episodes on the sideline. You know, a lot of Urban Meyer's problem, I think, is always self inflicted um, with what goes on around the program. He's 
consistently not recruited necessarily the best student athletes, especially sure. if you go back to his time at Florida. Yeah. But I think a lot of what we saw at Florida was hidden behind Tim Tebow. Yeah. Uh, well, Tim Tebow is a great veneer to have on a football program. Um, as far as a league guy goes, he's about as, you know, as great of a quarterback as you could want, upstanding individual. Um, but yeah, Florida was marred by, by similar issues as far as, you know, personnel goes and uh, players go. And you know, the list is long, but obviously there are some big ones that stick out. And not that the Aaron Hernandez situation is at all related, but I believe Aaron Hernandez was a was an Urban Meyer recruit. And, um, you know, they had a lot of issues with, with crime and, and arrests and those kind of things. So uh, this just... Seems to be more par for the course. This was a, a little bit different. Um, you know, the, the domestic issues that did surround this one. Uh, Urban Meyer's ridiculous excuses as far as uh, pretending that he didn't know about the situation, which were utterly laughable. Um, and the climate in today, and you knew this was coming. Uh, the issue was far too sensitive and it was handled far too poorly uh, by Urban. Um, it, it ended up working out in the end. The, the medical issues again come to save the day, but uh, glad to see change. Glad we're moving on. Um, you know, it, not a lot of great things to say about Urban. Heck, Urban, heck of a football coach, but um, you know, it was time. Great football coach. He'll do whatever it takes to win. Yeah, um, and he, I, I think that is kind of all we have to say about that. But yeah, yeah, I think the USC job will probably come open in the next year or two. Uh, He'll definitely be a candidate for that. Sure. Wouldn't be surprised to see him go there. But I think I don't know how long Brian Kelly's going to stay at Notre Dame. But Urban Meyer has long in the past said Notre Dame is his dream job. And to me, you know, maybe that's three, four years. Maybe Brian moves on to the NFL. I don't know. Um, he's always been kind of rumored to do something like that. But if that job is to open up and Urban Meyer is sitting at home, to me. To me, he will be head coach at Notre Dame if the alumni base doesn't uh, shy away from it too much, which uh, I think what we saw with Liberty this weekend. Oh, man. I don't think uh, I don't think they're going to step away. Yeah. No kidding. Liberty came out of left field. That's exactly what you expect so, from an outwardly Christian university. So how familiar are you with Lynchburg, Virginia? Pretty familiar. Okay, so you know about the Liberty that we knew when we were in college, Absolutely. right? Absolutely, yeah. Very small campus. Uh, the campus over the last 10 to 15 years has, I mean, absolutely transformed. Oh, my and word. And part of that is they have one of the largest online education systems in the country. Yeah. And so they have a ton of revenue coming in because, because of those programs. And yeah. I mean, they are just... They're investing heavily in the community, so that's a good thing. But Liberty has really taken over Lynchburg, yeah. Virginia. It's funny you say that. Yeah, Every time you drive by, when, when I'm going back home up to the Stanton, Virginia area, uh, you drive right by this football stadium. And it's funny because you see that football stadium, and, and it's like one of those evolutionary charts where you see, oh, we started off as a tadpole, and now we're a sort of a half monkey, half human hybrid. And here we, we ended up as a full blown human. That's exactly what that stadium did in like 10 years time. It's, it's a gorgeous yeah, stadium I mean, now, but it's start, you know, it was a tiny stadium to start and they added piece by piece each year. And now you're looking and you're like, yeah, that's a, that's a real uh, division one football program there. Yeah. When I was in high school, uh, our football team, we played the state championship there. Yeah. Right. Right at their football stadium. I mean, it's not the same place anymore, no. but Getting, getting away from that, uh, the hire that they made with Hugh Freeze is absolutely comical. <laughs> it's to me hilarious. Because I don't know if Liberty still has the extreme standards that they had when we were in college, <laughs> but when we were in college, I believe the movie Passion of the Christ came out. Yep. At least around that time. I, I don't remember when the movie came out. That is, that was, may still be the only rated R movie. <laughs> that students at that school were allowed to have in their possession on campus. Sure. Otherwise, all rated R movies were banned. So we're going to ban rated R movies, but we're going to bring in a guy who was calling escort services on recruiting trips. <laughs> now, I'm not just making this up. Like, there's documentation right. around this. Right. 
and he's going to come into a Christian university and and try to sell me on his relationship with uh, Jesus Christ and, you know, say out loud that Jesus is the only one that can handle his junk. <laughs> and then he yeah. did, did you yeah, hear that? Yeah, and yeah. then and then he goes and he's like, you know what? Uh, I think it was best for our family to step away from the SEC at this time. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that we won't be back there one day. So you're already talking about your job down the line and just overlooking Liberty completely. Like there are so many things about this hire that I hate. And to me, it's, it's not a good thing for college football. You go in and you bring this guy in who is a hypocrite in my opinion. Yeah. He, look, he is. Um, it was hilarious listening to that, that press conference, knowing given all the things here going at once, and there's a lot flying around, right? He's at Liberty with his past. So Right off the bat, that's that's sketchy. It's sketchy in a in a hilarious kind of way. But then you consider also look back at what he's done, and uh, that's when it gets even more funny to me because you're you're hiring a guy that can coach offense football, and he's you know got a proven track record as head coach at Ole Miss. But given what he's done, and given what you hold yourself out to be as a university, it throw the football program out the window. That should negate him from being hired. Period. It doesn't. The other funny thing about this whole thing is look at at Hugh Freeze's intelligence level. The guy was calling hookers on a university cell phone. I can go down for five dollars and get a cricket wireless flip phone. It cost me nothing. I don't know, man. I I wouldn't have touched that with a 10 foot pole. Yeah. I mean, to me, it just it just shows that schools, even a school the size of Liberty from a football standpoint, will do whatever it takes to win. And I think. I think that's a bad thing for the sport. Yeah, and yeah, no question. Moving on from that, I know it's not ACC related, but uh, kind of an ACC country here in Virginia. But recap a championship weekend. So Clemson, Clemson is the uh, ACC representative in the college football playoff for the fourth consecutive year. They've made the playoff four out of five years. Uh, they are basically the reason, to be honest, that the ACC... <laughs> is getting any press at this moment because the ACC has been down over the last couple of years. But uh, there wasn't much to talk about from the Clemson-Pitt standpoint, that game. But uh, I don't know if you had any initial thoughts. I definitely have a few. Um, Yeah, no, no no real initial thoughts. Honestly, it played out exactly like I thought it would, Um, even a little more dominant. I think I predicted 35-7, to and we ended up 42-10. But yeah, it it was exactly what I thought was going to happen. Pitt couldn't get anything going. They weren't effective in what they were trying to do from an offensive standpoint. And Clemson just looked explosive as usual. Yeah, exactly what we thought. Again, props to the Pitt Panthers for getting there. Uh, They did something in the Coastal that no one else was able to do. Uh, Maybe another year would have been a tighter tighter championship game there. But um, yeah, pretty much par for the course for me. What about you? Yeah, you know, I... uh... I have a little bit of a different view because it was 14 to three Clemson. And, you know, it really looked like Pitt was letting this game get away from them and they started fighting back. They got Mm -hmm. back into the game. So I think, I think it was 14, 10 at one point, they got Olison and uh, Darren Hall working uh, in that backfield. They were starting to have success against that defensive line. And then it's 21, 10 late in the second quarter. You have 58 seconds left in the in the half, and they're on mm-hmm. their own 20, okay? So they've got 80 yards to go, and the next thing you know, Narduzzi is saying, yeah, let's go for it. And they throw like two incomplete passes, and then on third down, Pickett throws a pick, and the next play, um, Trevor Lawrence finds, finds the end zone for a touchdown. It's up 28-10. Yeah. So... You go in to halftime down 18 instead of being down 11. I thought that was a huge turning point in the game because you lost all the momentum. I'm not a huge advocate of always sitting on the ball, but in this case, in Pitt's standpoint, you know, they were having zero success yeah. through the air with Pickett. I mean, Pickett finished four for 16 for eight <laughs> yards. And when you hit that single yardage passing game. game, that's always a fun one. Um, that, that's the thing. Yeah, so, Part for the course I mean, for me was I knew they were going to have uh, some success running the ball because that's what Pitt does. If Pitt was going to win this game, they were going to need something from Pickett. 
you can't go into a game against Clemson right. and be one-sided. Um, that's just not going to work against that defense. And the, had Pickett shown something to me in the beginning of the year, mid-season, at some point during the season, I would have felt a little confidence that maybe Pitt could have kept it close. But you get down two touchdowns, heck, one touchdown, and you're chasing that game, and you, you just can't do it out of your backfield like that. Uh, not running the ball. You need something from your quarterback, and, and they got unfortunately got nothing. For sure. And I, you know, I'm not saying that that's the reason they lost the game right there. I mean, I think they were going to lose it anyways, but you know, they definitely Pickett is more of a game manager at this stage in his career. Uh, you got to put him in positions to succeed. Uh, Narduzzi and his coaching staff did not do that in my, in my opinion, in that situation. And, you know, I don't know if that ruined his confidence for the rest of the game, but you know, they didn't score again. So they lost 42 to 10. The, uh, Game earlier in the day that had major playoff implications, Georgia-Alabama. And uh, we won't talk too much about this game other than, you know, Georgia probably should have won this year. Or actually, it's it's kind of the same calendar year. Uh, If you remember in the national championship, uh, Tua came in for Jalen Hurts after halftime and brought Alabama on a huge comeback to win the national championship. This year, Tua was playing horrible. Georgia was really holding that guy in check. To me, he lost the Heisman Trophy in that game uh, before yep. he got hurt. But we have Jalen Hurts come in who basically hasn't played in weeks, uh, mostly because of an injury, but had only been played sparingly after the first couple of weeks and returns <laughs> the favor. So this year, or in this game, it was Jalen coming in for Tua to lead a 14-point comeback in the fourth quarter to shock Georgia and to knock them out of the playoff. You got to be, you got to be sick. Oh yeah. You're, you're sick. And yeah, I really thought the dogs were going to pull that off, but I mean, I, what Jalen hurts did was so completely underrated being in that position mentally has to do a number on your psyche. He comes in exactly when they need him the most. And he is poised to making plays with his feet making the throws that you needed to make. I thought it was so impressive what Jalen was able to do there. Yeah, it really was. So uh, that kind of took us into the selection committee and there was a lot of controversy going into that. People were, people were really advocating for Georgia, but in my opinion, you've got uh, a pretty bad loss to LSU, not bad. And as LSU is a bad opponent, bad as an LSU controlled that game the entire time. It wasn't close. And then you lost to Alabama when you should have won. They should have won the game. So to me, they lost the two toughest games on their schedule. And it it really wasn't a debate for me as to whether Georgia should be no. should be in. It was between Oklahoma and Ohio State. I think they got it right. Uh, I mean, Oklahoma's obviously got their issues on defense, but Kyler Murray is probably the most dynamic oh, athlete at quarterback awesome. we've seen awesome. in college football yeah. since Vince yeah, Young, he's electric. I'd say. You know, I, interesting that you should say that. In regards to Georgia, I think um, what Kirby Smart and, and Saban were saying after the game, I do think talent-wise, Georgia is one of the top four programs in the country. There's not a doubt, but the resume has to matter. Um, and like you said, they had a slip-up against LSU. Um, and that ended up costing them completely, but I think they're a fantastic team. Looking over on the other side of the coin with Oklahoma and Oklahoma and that Alabama matchup they have coming up, Kyler Murray is a fantastic quarterback. Um, Jake Fromm had a lot of success against that Alabama secondary. I think he went over 300 yards and maybe three touchdowns, which is pretty effective. Um, so maybe a chink in the armor there that Oklahoma can take advantage of. Yeah, I think Oklahoma is definitely going to be able to score points. Um, I mean, if if you look at every game they've had this season, I mean, Kyler's had mm-hmm. a couple of like miscues throughout games, but he's never caused the team to lose. I mean, the reason they they lost to Texas the first time around was, you know, you gave up 48 points. So I'm never going to put that on the quarterback. Uh, the guy is fun to watch. He can beat you with his arm. He can definitely beat you with his legs. I just don't know if they will be able to score enough points against the Alabama defense because if two was running on all cylinders, you know, the Georgia defense yeah. is much different than Oklahoma. So I think we're going to see the old Tua in this game 
that's going to be a close one. I, I still expect Alabama to win it. Um, I expect uh, uh, mm-hmm. Clemson to beat Notre Dame. So we're going to see. Uh, I think we're going to see Clemson, Alabama, three out of the last four years. Yes, is that right? Yeah. In the national championship. Uh, th- that's how I, I, so, mean, that's yeah, how we'll I see. see it. Oklahoma, though, Maybe I will, will say, uh, I don't think Oklahoma is getting enough respect in that first round playoff game. Um, Alabama has not faced a quarterback like Kyler Murray in the past two years, uh, at least. That guy is generational as far as talent goes. Um, they're going to need everything they can on that defense to really hold him in check. And if that game starts to get away from them a little bit and they start having to play from behind again, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Now, Alabama usually answers that bell completely. I mean, that's that's why Saban's such a great coach and they're ever ready, it seems. But uh, potential there for maybe a, maybe a first-round slip-up that nobody is really uh, giving a shot. And I totally agree with Clemson. I don't think they're going to have uh, too much trouble with Notre Dame. But, uh, you know, Notre Dame's also looked pretty stout this season. Um, maybe not as explosive, but we'll see. Yeah, so we will uh, we will definitely preview those games in a coming podcast. I'm not sure if we'll split out college football playoff as its own or just kind of add that to our bowl our bowl preview, which will be next week. But a uh, couple of other games I wanted to touch on the two other ACC games that were going on last weekend. Uh, Virginia Tech, Marshall, Virginia Tech finally yeah. played a complete football game and are now going to their 26th consecutive bowl, which is the nation's longest streak now, undisputed since Florida State. Uh, Snap their streak of 36 if you ignore the vacated right. 2006 bowl game. But uh, they are not going bowling this year at 5-7. and seven. So Virginia Tech now has the nation's longest streak. And, uh, I mean, I thought they yeah, were By Marshall standards, Marshall. that's a good, good Marshall football team. Um, but you know, my biggest takeaway from that game was Ryan Willis looked like a heck of a quarterback. Uh, they let him take some risks. He, he moved well in the pocket, made some big time throws. I was thoroughly impressed with, with Ryan with, that was a lot on the line for that game and it didn't seem to affect him at all. Yeah. I think, I think the thing you get with Ryan Willis is he is a guy who he might lose you the game, but He's, yes, he's he going to put it all out on the line. I mean, he is going to take chances. He's he's not a conservative player. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see when Josh Jackson comes back next year, what goes on in the offseason. Uh, I, I mean, I think right now it's between those two guys competing for the starting job, and we'll get into this later, uh, later in the year. But they are similar, but Ryan Willis has more of that mm-hmm. gunslinger mentality in him than Josh Jackson does. and. You know, I don't. I don't think Virginia Tech beats no. Virginia without that. No, I think, I think he, he was, was too. And to that. his credit, he is. When you talk about a guy that gives it his all, Brian Willis leaves his soul on the football team, on the football field every time he competes. Um, your team sees that, and that's got to do a lot for morale when you see your leader out there literally taking shots that he takes and getting right back up, and the passion and emotion he plays with. It fires me up. Um, so yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens moving yeah, forward, but for sure. really happy to see that out of Ryan in that game. It meant a lot to uh, all the Hokie fans out there, I'm sure. Yeah, so uh, Virginia Tech will play Cincinnati in the Military Bowl on New Year's Eve up in Annapolis, Maryland. The other game that we had was NC State, East Carolina, and uh, I don't have the score in front of me, yeah, but it was to a three, uh, Wolfpack in that one. Uh, Really nothing to take away from that other than the Remington Award winner, which goes out to the best center in the nation, was won by Garrett Bradbury, uh, I believe, two days ago. He scored a rushing touchdown in that game, which I thought was really cool from Dave Doran, uh, a guy that's uh, been a starter almost every year that he's been or every game that he's been with the Wolfpack. Um, one of the you know, obviously best centers they've ever had and definitely the best center this year. So props out to Garrett for winning the award. Props to him for getting a touchdown. Uh, another shout out in that game goes to Reggie Gillespie, NC State's running back who's been there four years, really struggle with injuries, uh, really didn't get a time to shine this year, giving all the NFL talent that NC State lost. He just, you know, went out and had a casual day going 24 for 220 um, and and just set the school record for single season touchdowns. So I thought that was pretty cool for a guy that really hadn't had a lot of success in his three years before this one. It's good to see him go out on top like that. 
Yeah, I got to tell you, NC State fans have to be excited about the program Dave Doran is building. I mean, they have got legitimate NFL yeah. talent on that roster. And, uh, you know, I think they right now have a top three recruiting class in the ACC. I think it's top 25 in the country right now. So they, uh, they're definitely pulling in some talent. I think they're mm-hmm. winning the state right now, uh, at least from a conference standpoint. So uh, NC State have some things to be excited about. And East Carolina, uh, I think we knew what was going to happen in this game. They just hired Mike Houston from James Madison. Uh, so I, I think that's a good hire for them. Um, I mean, the guy won a national championship at JMU. JMU is, is a powerhouse uh, school in the, FB, in the uh, FCS. So, yeah, they got a good coach. Hopefully he can turn that ship around I for think East Carolina. But, uh, that's one of those uh, yeah, penalty examples of, you know, where culture is kind of slipping. Um, and, and he really needs to go there and get the culture right. And I think he will. The guy's a winner. Before JMU, um, he was at the Citadel and took the Citadel to their first conference championship in 23 years, which is, I mean, you're talking about a, a military academy, basically. And the Citadel winning at those programs is incredibly difficult. He's done it. Um, he's he's made appearances in national title games. He's won national title games. Um, Thirty-seven and six over his few years with JMU. I think he's got a good future there. You know, he's a North Carolina guy, um, so it, it's a good fit. And he runs the kind of scheme I think that ECU is known for, which is kind of the you know the spread, whether it be the air raid or a spread with a little more run mixed in. I think he's a good fit for the personnel they have. And Holt Naylor's, I think, is a good quarterback they have down there. So it'll be interesting to see what Mike's able to do with him next year. That's one of those programs where you could really see them flip and turn it around pretty quickly. I don't think you need a lot of time to write that ship, especially given the conference they play in. So it'll be cool to see where he goes. Yeah, East Carolina. And, I mean, this this is uh... – this should be a topic for an ACC podcast because, I mean, yeah. they play a number of ACC schools Every year. right in ACC country. So uh, they're a program that, I mean, that football is huge oh, yeah. down there in Greenville. I mean, it is, uh, if you've ever been to Greenville, ECU is that town. And, I mean, mm-hmm. everybody is all in on the football team. So it's uh it's a little bit odd to see how they've been run over the last couple of years. I mean, I think that's been the biggest issue yeah. is just complete dysfunction from a athletic department standpoint. So they've got a new AD now. They've got the new head coach. Uh, you know, hopefully they can get things righted. They, to me, they embarrass themselves oh, the yeah. way that they conducted business this year, uh, just for a, a number of things that were were yeah. handled oh, yeah. incorrectly. We could go on forever. We could have a uh, but, separate podcast for that. Uh, hopefully, hopefully there's some stability coming there and, uh, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure they'll be able to, uh, get those recruiting classes up with Houston, but switching to another North Carolina coach, one that I think should still be in North Carolina, uh, at another program, but Scott Satterfield was introduced as head coach at Louisville earlier this week. And, uh, I know you're a huge Satterfield guy. Um, I think I think he is a great fit for uh, for this program, especially with everything that has gone on around the football and basketball conference over the last few years. And you know, I I, uh, I chose to listen to this uh, entire press conference and Vince Tyra, the new AD at Louisville. I think he said the word <laughs> yeah. culture like 25 times. I mean. He just he just kept alluding to that. Some of the other things that really stood out from Tyra, uh, you know, he said he was looking for an established leader. Um, high culture, integrity was a huge factor. Somebody with strong discipline. He actually said that he he went and looked at Satterfield's history of player arrests, and that played into his decision a lot. So obviously, Satterfield passed the test there. Another tidbit, and I think this just kind of goes to the kind of student athlete that Satterfield really targets. And, you know, take it with a grain of salt, App State, you're not going to get the same level athlete that you can get at Louisville. But the student athletes he brings in average a 3.5 GPA in high school. So that's not something you see 
consistently throughout college football. And, you know, he said that's something that they really want to continue doing uh, at at uh, at Louisville. So what was Great. your I mean, your like you said, I, man, I think UNC could have made a knockout home run higher with Scott Satterfield. So I'm kind of glad they went the Mac Brown route, um, seeing as we have to play them every year on our side of the conference. But uh, I thought it was great. I mean, what a good fit for a program that truly needed a culture change in the worst way. Um, And that leadership, that'll trickle down and and they'll get that culture right. But you had all the symptoms of that culture just being so wrong. When you see a team that talented quit on the football field like that, um, you, you always know something's rotten at the top. And everybody knows about Petrino and his off the field issues and um, you know, in the other podcasts, our previous one, we alluded to the fact that we couldn't believe that parents were actually sending their children to play for him. Scott Satterfield is the opposite of that. Um, if I had a son who was 18 and, and looking to, to take that next step and I had some offers from Louisville, I would definitely want him to consider that program heavily because of a guy like Scott Satterfield. Like you mentioned, recruits high character guys. Um, intelligent guys and wins with those guys. And, and that's, that's impressive enough. Um, but look at what he's done with App State. Seven and one in conference each of the past three years, three Sun Belt championships, and he's won every bowl game he's played in. Um, but go back further and look at what he did with Armani Edwards in App State the first time around. He was Armani Edwards quarterback coach, um, when they beat Michigan in 2007. So, He's had a lot of success in places where, you know, success might not be the easiest to come by. Um, and I thought, you know, doing research on what he did with App State, we all know it was great, but I was looking for some nuggets. And I think I found one. And this this kind of blew me away. App State in the past five years ranks fifth in wins behind Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. That's crazy. Yep. No, I had I had the same thing on here. It's uh it's pretty impressive. And um you know, when he was talking about his head coaching experience, you know, it was it was mind blowing because, you know, this is a guy he spent 23 years at App State. He's only left mm-hmm. twice. He went to or only left once, really. He went to Toledo for a year and then he went to FIU for a year and uh, then he came back. And so he's been head coach and he was part of the transition. So I think in the first year he was there, correct me if I'm wrong, they were still um, FCS. Um, sure. but then he led the transition into the Sun Belt and they started off like five and 12, right. one and five in the first year in the Sun Belt. They finished that season seven and five. And so he was talking about, you know, they were at an away game to tr- at Troy with his wife. And like he said, they went for a walk and he was <laughs> looking around and he's like, you know, we really need to enjoy this. I'm not sure, I'm not sure how much longer, uh, we're going to have the opportunity to be, um, you know, head coach at, at a program like this. So just to hear um, him talk through that and how, how they really turned the program around. The other thing I thought was unbelievable to hear, especially in today's age is he uh, started at App State in like 1998 as a um, wide receiver coach, I want to say. And he was making $7,000 a year. Okay. And so he's like freshly married. It's like two years married and, um, he was making snow on a mountain <laughs> in nearby yeah. Boone, some somewhere outside of Boone, North Carolina. Yeah. In the off season, just to just to get by. So his wife essentially gave him two years, and uh, you know, obviously he he started moving up the ranks with App State. And uh, you mentioned the Armani Edwards uh, game against sure. Michigan. I mean, that's what really put App State on the map. Uh, and I think that's when we really started to see. That was kind of the first time we had seen an, a program like that beat yeah. a Division One opponent in quite some time. Yeah, and, and not it, just it's any really Division started One opponent, right? Going then. into the largest college football stadium in America um, and beating a program like Michigan. Granted, Michigan was a little depressed at that time. Uh, was still amazing. I mean, we'll never forget that that block field goal at the end. That's one of those plays you can always conjure up in your mind. And Scott's like that guy who started working as a dishwasher and now owns the restaurant. And it's fantastic to see him progress to this point. And, you know, I think the biggest, biggest issue was the culture. The second biggest issue was that defense was just awful this year. Um, and I think, did he bring over his defensive coordinator from app state? 
I imagine he would. Okay. Because App State, I think, had a top 15 defense, did, yeah. which is – that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So another huge acquisition by Louisville in yeah. that case because that, that sets them up perfectly. Like I said, the cupboard is not bare in Louisville right now. Um, that could be one of those one year in their back in a bowl game, bowl game turnaround type situations. Yeah, I mean, they've done okay recruiting uh, since Petrino's been back. I mean, Petrino took over in 14. Their class rank that year was 53rd. Uh, in 15, 16, it was 30 and 36 respectively. And then they've had two top 30 classes the last two years. So they, right. uh, it's not like they don't have talent there. They just need to yeah. be coached because Louisville, you know, you, you got a, you had a Heisman trophy winner during Petrino's second stint there oh, and yeah. they never won more than the nine games or they never, I don't think they even won nine games. So, uh, there was definitely something lacking there. Right now, their recruiting class, they only have seven committed. They rank last in the ACC and like 103rd Ooh. nationally. So there's definitely a lot of work that has to be done before before February to yeah, get that class a, kind a of. Yeah, there's a Tom O'Brien-esque recruiting turnaround that needs to occur there. Um, you know, when Tom O'Brien was at NC State his, his last couple of years, he had recruiting classes like that. And it took NC State two years to really – two to three years to bounce back from that lack of depth and lack of talent. So that can be a killer having one or two of those years back to back. So we'll see what Scott does. I've got all the faith in the world in him and I think he's going to do great there. Um, Great, great hire by Louisville. Yeah. And just a a side note, Petrino is still getting paid more (laughs) money for the next three years than Satterfield. That's the way of the world, man. College football, I feel like they're paying more coaches to not be there than we are actually paying coaches to coach at this point. Yeah, it's unreal. Another big head coaching hire uh, just announced on Friday. We are recording this on Saturday, so mm-hmm. a day ago. Uh, Jeff Collins, the head coach from Temple, is now the Georgia Tech head coach. And uh, I don't know how much you know about Jeff Collins, but from <laughs> now on, I'm going to refer to him as I think that's a good G. fit. I, I know a fair bit about Jeff. Um you know, another Georgia boy. I think it's important to at least get someone who's regionally familiar with your school. Um, and his work as defensive coordinator out in Florida and Mississippi State was fantastic. So um, defense, always important. Defensive-minded head coaches are great. Uh, loved him when he was at Temple. And it's always a good indicator of what kind of coach you're getting when the fan base of the other school is either happy or sad to see him go. Temple fans are very sad to see him going. And um Man, I feel like Temple just continues to get their coaches poached from them. I don't know if they've had one for more than two or three years in the past, maybe 10. Matt Rule did a great job of taking a program from rock bottom. I mean, I think they had one. They might have had one win in his first season there as head coach, but he really turned them around. And then he, you know, left for Baylor a couple years ago to take that, uh, take that program from the gutter after everything that went down there. So um, if you're Georgia Tech, you know, I think you're happy with this hire. He does have a lot of experience in the Southeast. You know, he's, he's coached at UCF as a linebacker and recruiting coordinator. He's coached at FIU as a defensive coordinator. He spent three years at Mississippi State, two years at Florida, and now he's got two years of head coaching experience. So he's a guy who knows the Southeast well and even, even parts of the Northeast being at Temple. So he should be able to really, um, help in that recruiting uh, sense with Georgia Tech. And I think this is probably part of the reason they hired him because recruiting is something that's been on his resume almost everywhere he's been. And they have to be able to recruit for for an offense that is going to be vastly different than what they had in the triple option. So he he mentioned specifically in his press conference that he's bringing a profile offense and defense to – to yeah, Georgia Tech. Uh, happy so to see the pro style coming in. I get tired of air raid and spread teams. Uh, you know, it seems like college football is falling in love with them. So I love the idea of bringing back pro style offense. You know, it's always good to see that kind of hanging around. And, uh, you know, next year will be cool. He'll be a fun one to watch because he, his first game is going to be against Clemson. So welcome to the ACC. Um, you know, the first game you're going to coach is going to be Clemson. And then he makes a return and plays uh, Temple also next year. So. Um, a couple cool games already on the schedule for him and uh, recruiting wise, I think he's going to do great. Georgia Tech as a football program has a lot to sell. Um, you know, they play in a really cool stadium in a, in a large urban area. 
which can be appealing for recruits. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. I, I wouldn't put it past him, and I expect success from him too. Yeah, he's a guy who he's coming into a recruiting class. It's currently ranked uh, 50th in the country, 11th in the ACC. He's got 16 commits, but no quarterback, which I think that's okay because <laughs> – if there was a quarterback committed, he was not going to be no. quarterback that that was going to be running this pro style offense. So, I really expect Georgia Tech to oh, go yeah. out there and try to bring in a JUCO transfer, somebody who yeah. can come in and and play that's got experience right away. Um, similar to kind of like a Ryan Willis type or you know Gerard mm-hmm. Evans at um, Virginia Tech a couple of years ago. I was kind of thinking Kelly Bryant might end up there, but he uh, he chose to go over to Missouri. So that's going to be that's going to be big. And so the other thing I want to bring up with Jeff Collins is this guy <laughs> hired a swag coordinator at Temple, and it was basically <laughs> it was right. basically a graphic design multimedia position where. You know, he was in charge of like social media efforts to kind of make Temple more attractive and to like really kind of be make attention grabbing headlines. And back when he was at Mississippi State, he started writing these swag recruiting letters. And so they were trying to get their their recruiting letters to really stand out because, you know, if you're a top recruit going to these big high profile programs, you're probably getting 500 to 1000 recruiting letters a year. So in order to make it stand out, they came up with like a nice package on the outside, something that would really grab the attention. And you'd open it up and you'd have a, a headline in that letter that would say something like <laughs> uh, it would have like a can of swag on it or it would say something like you're a baller. And that was it. Like that was the letter. But they knew where it was from and they knew where it was coming from. And, you know, it's just things like that that I think is really going to help Georgia Tech, at least in the beginning, kind of uh, stand out a little bit on the recruiting trail. Um, and Justin, so, I have a dream. So that's going to be interesting to see. And, that one day, swag coordinators yeah. will be met with as much fanfare as offensive and defensive coordinators. And I can't wait for the day that I get to see a swag coordinator mm-hmm. promoted to head coach. That's, that's important. And that should be a staple of every college football program in the for nation. For sure. You want to stand out. You're not going to stand out without a swag coordinator. That's genius, and I'm on board 110%. Well, I think swag coordinator is probably going to turn into like what the strength coach has turned into. So he's like, (laughs) you've got the strength coach. He's like this 5'10 guy. He weighs 250 pounds. He's like jacked out of his mind. He's bald. (laughs) He shines his head before the game starts, and his job – Basically, patrol the sideline. And I wonder if the recruiting process up. is the same. So, I, mean, I mean, it's almost like you have to get someone if, who's mentally we can, detached from being a sane person to be your strength coach nowadays. You don't see normal strength coaches anymore, and they—they're all—they all look like cartoon yeah. characters out there. I mean, it's fantastic. No, that's the way you need to do it. I'm on board with that too. I think. Uh, Sure. I think you have to have a little bit of crazy in you Absolutely. nowadays to even have a shot at being a, a strength coordinator. So a uh, couple of, <laughs> couple other things I wanted to bring up with Jeff or Swaggy G, should I say? He literally went after Georgia in his first press conference as head coach. So he goes, this is a quote, recruits choose brands and our brand should be as strong as anywhere in the country and it's going to be. <laughs> okay, so that's a nice little intro. Sure, sure, coach. Yeah, whatever you say. So he also goes on to say uh, he would take advantage of the school's strong academic requirements as a selling point to come to a place where education matters. He said other universities tech will recruit against don't have the advantages of having a meaningful degree. He also went on to say Jeff Collins says he will no longer write anything in red, no red allowed in the building. So he was clearly talking about Georgia and the type of student athlete that that they recruit. Uh, I don't know if he was really going down the student athlete line, but you know, at least he was. Yeah. Uh, he fired a few shots. Absolutely. Um, I just got to tell you, man, that is perfect. If you're a Georgia Tech fan, you love that. Shots over the dog's bow is what it's all about. That's a hated rivalry. Um, go ahead and take those shots. I mean, if you have a swag coordinator, you don't have a timid press conference. You go for the neck. I think that's great. Um, he needs to really energize that fan base. Again, another one of those fan bases that was just tired. I mean, the triple option, Paul Johnson, 
older head coach. You're running an offense from the Great Depression era. Uh, I'm I'm sure they're happy they're about to turn it around, and I love that. I love that attitude. Uh, Happy to see where he takes it. And again, going to start it off against Clemson, so uh, he's got to get to work. So another school we hit on last week, North Carolina. Um, I'm not sure really what's going on hmm. from a coordinator standpoint with them right now. Um, I follow Inside Carolina on Twitter. <laughs> Every report they have released has been wrong. <laughs> They've been slightly so off sure the mark, Justin, uh, <laughs> to say the least. Just a what's going on wide right. from their reporting standpoint? Yeah. It's I'm not sure how inside of That's Carolina funny. they really are after after what I've seen this week. So um, so they hired Greg Robinson, FC defensive coordinator, and we we were not a huge fan of of that hire. And neither was the alumni base, it sounds like. And so he has since been removed from that title. He's now there as a consultant. And. It was reported last night that uh, the Army yes. defensive coordinator, his name is slipping me, I believe it's Jay Bateman, uh, was going to take over the defensive coordinator uh, slot. And Graham Harrell, who has uh, been offensive coordinator for the Mean Green. Is that the same Graham Harrell Texas that played University under Mike Leach for Texas years, Tech? I uh, was going to take over. Oh, the, look at that. Yes. yes well, good for is. him. The same Texas Tech Graham Harrell. Yeah, so I was uh, I was really surprised to see that name. So he was going to be offensive coordinator, and then 15 <laughs> minutes later, it came out that no, no, he's going to stay at North Texas. Uh, no, Jay Bateman's not going to be the defensive coordinator. Oh man! So I don't know what's going on. Uh, I like the direction. I like the direction of those two type of those two types of guys for North Carolina. But uh, yeah, it seems like Mac Brown is off to kind of a uh, a rough start yeah. from yeah. A, and maybe there's too many cooks in the kitchen there. You're going to have a guy like Mac Brown who's going to run that football program like a CEO. But Ben's on a whim based on public perception and maybe pressure from donors. And then you've got Greg Robinson, who's the defensive coordinator, but now he's not. Now he's a consultant, but also kind of a head coach type A guy. Um, man, it's getting real interesting there. I'm, I'm glad Graham's not there uh, because I don't want the air raid in the ACC right now. Um, we have enough problems to prepare for. We don't need the air raid on the coastal side of the division. Um, I think it would have been a great hire. Uh, Bateman, again, would have been interesting, too, to see how he would have translated from Army, who runs the flex bone, and the defense isn't on the field quite as much. Um, that would have been cool, but is there a direction? Do they have a direction at this point? Are we getting closer to getting some coordinators, or is it all just hearsay at this point? Well, let me uh, let me fill you in on something that I found to be concerning if I were a North Carolina fan. So North Carolina retained only one coach from Fedora staff, which is uh, Tommy Thigpen. So Mm -hmm. he's going to be the uh, co-defensive coordinator and safeties coach. And they're also going to hire Tim Brewster as assistant head coach, Tim Cross as a defensive line coach. Okay. And uh, Dre Bly as a cornerbacks coach. So Dre Bly, no zero coaching experience in college. And what I'm concerned about is a quote from Mac Brown. And he says, quote, the reason I'm going back is players and ex-players. Brown said of why he kept Thickbin on staff and hired Bly. So I want to help those guys. So are we here to help out former players get head or get coaching jobs? Like, are we handing out favors now? Nothing against these guys. I mean, they've uh, Thigpen. Thigpen, I don't think was the issue last year. But I mean, Dre Bly comes in, no coaching experience, had a decent NFL career. But no, yeah, that's that seems know. way too buddy like buddy to me. You're, you're there to win a you know to run a football program to win football games. You don't do that by handing out favors to people. Um, interesting. That's interesting that you would even even really say that. But uh, good for Mac. I'm sure his, his heart's in the right place. But uh, we'll see how it goes. Thigpen, again, uh, he, he wasn't really a big problem. He's also a really good uh, recruiter. Um, really annoying on Twitter if you're into that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, uh, that's great. I, I'm not surprised they kept him on staff. I am surprised to hear Dre Bly's name. I didn't know he was in the coaching circles at all. 
Um, so yeah, one great uh, UNC cornerback coming back to uh, coach the cornerbacks. No defensive or offensive coordinators yet. Uh, we've had a, a couple that, at least one that's been extended an offer, accepted it, and then got pushed out. So, man, it's a fun time to be a UNC football fan. Yeah, I mean, I just I think they're building right. their their coaching staff from the wrong direction. You know, you you want right. to hire your coordinators, and then you want to hire your positional coaches, and they're going about it in the complete opposite way. So, I don't know what's going on there. Um, it sounds like it's been pretty dysfunctional. It sounds like, yeah, you know, my biggest take is that you know, they, when Matt got right hired, now, they, honest, they so. spun it as the Herm Edwards, Arizona State CEO, head coach, uh, maybe a coach in waiting type situation. Right now, it looks like from the outside looking in, the football program has no idea what they want to be. And that's strange to me. Um, you would think you'd already have your style, kind of what you want to be from a coaching perspective and a scheme perspective. And here we are just seemingly pulling names out of a what's trending hat as rumors. And we got no vision. There's no, I don't know what they're trying to build there in UNC right now. I just don't. So um, it'll be interesting to see if they go with another air raid guy, if that's really what Mac Brown wants to do, or if the next guy is just going to have another completely off the wall uh, offensive scheme. We'll see. Um, but it doesn't look like there's a lot of vision right now. Um, it looks like somebody's just winging it to me. No, and they're, yeah. they're another school right now that is at the bottom of the ACC in recruiting. They rank and, 83rd And more, more damning for them on that front is that they don't the have one player from the so. top 30 in North uh, Carolina committed to their school. Um, and I'm pretty sure NC State is almost around the double-digit mark there. Uh, that's a lot of ground to make up, and that's not a good look. Um, you know, in-state recruiting is going to be your bread and butter, and the state of North Carolina is – rich with talent. So um, they're going to need to turn that around quick. Uh, so moving into some news and notes around the conference, uh, Mac Brown and Frank Beamer Frank. were both elected into the college football hall of fame. So I believe both, I believe both have the okay. same amount of wins currently. I think they're both tied on the all time win list. So unless it completely implodes for Mac Brown at North Carolina, which he's definitely going to win a game. Um, Mac will overtake Frank on that list, but, you know, two, uh, two Hokie alums, Frank Beamer belongs in the Hall of Fame. He, uh, to me, his Hall of Fame is everything that you see from a football standpoint in Blacksburg. If you've never been to Blacksburg, you've never been to Virginia Tech, um, Frank Beamer yeah. is a big part of why it is what it is today um, on and off the football field. So what he's done from that university standpoint is, uh, is unbelievable. I, uh, I'll never have a bad word to say about Frank Beamer. I got to meet him a few times when I was a student there working in student media. And uh, I can tell you from direct experience, he is like one of the nicest guys you will ever talk to. And, you know, he didn't have to give me the time of day. I was just a, a lowly student and our basketball coach at the time, um, Seth Greenberg. No. You know, not that he was a bad guy. He just was not as uh, approachable as uh, Frank Beamer was. And um, I think uh, I just have great memories of Frank. And, uh, yeah, I'll just forever be uh Sure. Uh, you know, I, other coaches was, out there, the if you want an example of culture in and, and what you want to emulate as a head football coach from the type of person you should strive to be um, in the way you should strive to do things, uh, Coach Beamer is a shining example. Great coach. Uh, you know, didn't always get the, the results we wanted every game with him, but I wouldn't have traded him for the world. Uh, you know, his legacy is obviously still felt in Blacksburg to this day and will be for, you know, 20 to 30 years down the road. Uh, it, it'll always be there. That's that's Frank's football program, in my opinion, still to this day. Um, so it's great to see him get that kind of honor. Uh, Brian Kelly has won a number of Coach <laughs> of the Year awards, so good for him, I guess. I uh, I was kind of surprised he's won so many. Um, I mean, not to say that he's not done a, a bad job there, and you know, I, I yep. think. If you look at Notre Dame two years ago, they had a terrible season. Um, I mean, I don't think they made a bowl that year. And uh, 
they've they've come a long way. So from that standpoint, they've had a great year. They went undefeated. Um, they're in not the college football playoffs. Not, not with so, the season. He's again, had. I don't have any issues with him winning Coach of the Year award. Uh, Kelly Bryant is no longer an ACC football player, so he chose Mizzou. Yes, which come on, like Kelly, we wanted heard, you to reunite with Chad Mizzou Morris. Arkansas, Everybody so, was excited for that. Um, he recruited you. How dare you? Yeah, it was surprising, wasn't it? I mean, I know Arkansas had a terrible year this year, but they're in complete rebuild mode. Um, Kelly did a, or uh, excuse me, Morris did a great job at SMU down in Dallas turning that program around because, I mean, another program that was in the gutter, um, but left it in a much better standing than than he got there. And I, I think he'll get... Arkansas turned around. So yeah, I was, I was a little bit surprised yeah. to see, uh, Which see Kelly kind of I would have been very excited like to root on the Arkansas Razorbacks and see and that, uh, you know, a little ACC reunification there would have been nice, but we didn't get it. Uh, Mizzou now come becomes a pretty good, uh, SEC team, uh, with a heck of a leader in Kelly Bryant. So good pickup for them. You know, it's just a shame we're not going to get to see that, uh, that reunion happen. And, uh, it, to Chad Morris's point. Uh, Arkansas really has to stick it out with them because they are going to be paying Brett Bielema for a long time. So I don't know that you can make any moves anyway. So yeah, Chad's a good, Chad's a good horse to hit your back into though. In that case, I think they'll, they'll gladly stay with, uh, Chad Morris. I think he's, he's a, uh, a great coach and, uh, he'll get that program turned around for sure. Um, so a couple of, Headlines that we're starting to see a little bit more often in college football now. And uh, really the only ACC team this has affected thus far is NC State. But we've got Jermaine Pratt and Calvin Harmon who are choosing not to participate in uh, in the Gator Bowl against Texas A&M for NC State. So um, yeah. both of these guys are probably Borderline first round picks. I'd say Harmon is probably a surefire first rounder. Leads the ACC in receiving. Um, I mean, Pratt, uh, leads the, uh, leads the team in tackles, 10 and a half tackles for a loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, he's a guy who did have a knee injury earlier this year. And, you know, I, I don't blame these guys. No, I'll for, never, never blame the player in this situation. If we were talking about the college football really playoffs, maybe much. I'd be a little disappointed that the player didn't want to go out there and compete in that scenario. And the Gator Bowl, you know, not going to blame the player. It does put NC State at a disadvantage, right? Missing your most dynamic offensive weapon and the best defensive player um, on the other side of the football, the best linebacker the school's had in quite some time. It's a shame we won't get to see them uh, finish their careers against Texas A&M, uh, but they've both had just been integral for NC State this year. Kelvin Harmon has just three years of completely amazing uh, displays for NC State. So it'll be interesting to see what they do in the NFL. I think both of them are going to be uh, pretty good in the next level. So, um, yeah, no hard feelings there. And NC State soldiers on, and you get to see players that are going to step up next year. Right. Yeah, the great news for NC State, too, is Ryan Finley is planning to play in the game, and that's another guy who, if he gets to the second round of the draft, I'll be shocked. So um, another... News and note, uh, this one really kind of affects Syracuse in a positive way. Will Greer is also foregoing um, the Camping World Bowl in Orlando for West Virginia and is going to focus on the NFL draft. So, uh, you know, to me, Will Greer, you know, great college quarterback. Yeah. I don't know if I see him being a great NFL quarterback. Um to be honest, I'm a big fan of Eric Dungy on Syracuse. And I think that's a guy who he's not going to be a uh, a top first or second round pick. But I think he's a guy, if he slips to the fourth, fifth round, maybe even later and finds his finds the right it's situation. Funny you say I that. think Dungy is he just ends up the epitome. Another one of those guys like Ryan Willis, Willis who's just an absolute opinion. warrior. Um, he's talented. He's an athlete. I think he's got a good shot at the NFL. The, the what coaching he gets is going to matter a whole lot because he's coming from a very um, non-pro friendly scheme with Dino Babers. 
Um, so that's going to take some time to translate into, okay, what is he as a pro quarterback? Um, as far as Greer goes, I don't see Greer being super effective in the NFL either. I think he's a less talented Baker Mayfield. Um, you know, less talented athletically, uh, less gifted from an arm perspective. Uh, I, I'm just not sure I see it, uh, you know, coming to fruition for him. So uh, we'll see. Dungy's an interesting shout, though. It'll be cool to see what happens to him when he makes it to the next level. Uh, so jumping into ACC bowl selections, and we'll hit on this real quick. We're gonna we're gonna have another podcast devoted to ACC bowls, but in order of date played, Wake Forest will take on Memphis in the Birmingham Bowl, uh, Boston College against Boise State. That should be an interesting matchup in the First Responder Bowl, uh, Georgia Tech Minnesota Quick Lane Bowl, Paul Johnson's last game as head coach, Duke Temple in the Independence Bowl. Uh, Miami, Wisconsin, yeah. and the Pinstripe Bowl. That game is that's going to be an ugly game. I feel like um, Syracuse, West Virginia, Camping World Bowls. That should be that, that should one. be one of the Just better ones. You right there. Uh, Virginia, Virginia, South Carolina, in the Belk Bowl. Uh, intrigued. Uh, Clemson, Notre Dame, in the Cotton Bowl. It's obviously the college football playoff uh, semifinal, and then uh, New Year's Eve, Virginia Tech, Cincinnati, Military Bowl. Pittsburgh, Stanford in the Sun Bowl, and NC State A&M in the Gator Bowl. So, again, 11 teams in the ACC now have bowls. Uh, it should be a pretty fun bowl season. Right, and, hopefully uh, um, with some predictions and maybe a little competition between you and I on next that one. week. Okay, okay, yeah. Let's let's see what's uh, let's see what we drum up there. Um, so it is Saturday afternoon, so the Heisman has not occurred yet. We have got three guys that are going to be there, and Dwayne Haskins, Kyler Murray, Tua, Taga Viola. Uh, I think it's a two-man race, Kyler and Tua. To me, and it's it's pretty simple for me, if you take Tua off of Alabama, I think they're still undefeated. If you take oh, yeah. Kyler off yeah. of Oklahoma, they probably have three or four losses this year, if not more. And... uh just the guy who had to be on the field for his team to win. To, uh, if you look at it, I saw a good stat. I didn't pull it up for this, but right. Tua was in the 550 range for snaps played this year. Uh, Haskins, Haskins and Murray were in the eight to 900 snap range. So just from that standpoint alone, I mean, Tua's numbers are very impressive. To me, he never had the signature Heisman moment. And uh, when he could have yeah. in the SEC championship, he did not impress. And so nothing against Tua. I think he's a great quarterback. I love watching him play. But to me, the Heisman is about the Yeah, best I hate that we tend to agree so much, dynamic, but um, that's what I have on, on my, my little book. sheet here. Uh, the difference to me is really you look at that running side that Kyler Murray adds. Um, been extremely prolific this year, rushing the football too. I think that adds a lot that Tua doesn't have. Um, so interesting to see, uh, you know, almost a thousand yards in the ground for Kyler, similar passing stats to Tua. Tua had a shot, you know, for a Heisman moment. The breaks didn't go his way in that case. He didn't really get a shot. But even before that, he wasn't necessarily blowing anyone away. Um, you know, if this was one of those, uh, I don't know what you call it, the the races that you have at field days and such, where you have two people and you tie their legs, one of their legs together, and they run the race. You know, if you look at Alabama in that picture, uh, two is a part of just a, a two man team that's just hoofing it down the field. Um, Kyler Murray is dragging, you know, someone sleeping all the way across to the finish line, and like you said, I think that's big, and that says a lot. Where the committee needs to make a uh, a decision is going to be, is this an award for the best player in college football, regardless of team? Or is this an award for the best player on the best team in college football? I certainly hope it's the former, but as of late, they seem to, team, seem to shade on the latter side of that. And I, I'm not sure I'm, I'm down with that. Yeah, I mean, the argument you could have is Lamar Jackson at Louisville, you had... Uh... Robert Griffin at Baylor one no. year, even Johnny Manziel at A&M, like those teams weren't competing for national championships that year. So um, I think that's, that's the hope. But I mean, both of these, both of these guys are, 
thoughts and prayers with Alex Smith um, going through a lot with the leg injury he suffered two weeks ago, the broken leg. Apparently there's been some infection issues and um, not sure he will ever play football again, but here's to hoping he will be able to live a normal life. And um, yeah, just thinking about Alex Smith and hoping everything goes well with him and his continued recovery. Yeah, no, that's, uh, I, I read that this morning too. It's, uh, not a good, good situation for him. And, you know, he, uh, he's always going to be compared to Aaron Rodgers because they were in the same draft. He went Absolutely. first overall, but to me, he's, he's about as solid as a, as a NFL quarterback as you can have. So, um, I want to oh, give wow. a shout out to University of Alabama at Birmingham. So I don't know how right. familiar you are right. with uh, this program, but two years ago, they didn't have a program anymore, citing fiscal concerns. So this year, they won the Conference USA, which is uh, unbelievable. Um, you know, they had never won a conference cha- championship in their first 24 years of existence. They were eight and five last year coming out of wow. the uh, out of nothing, essentially, and 10 and three this year. Their defense was ninth nationally in scoring, tenth uh, in total defense, and uh, they've got a new stadium coming. Twelve and zero at home since returning, and uh, I mean that's that's unbelievable. And and the other high profile note here is Bill Clark, their head coach. He didn't leave. He just didn't coach for two years. He was there. He had a bunch of players that also didn't leave. And they essentially just practiced for two years until until they could get the program back in order. So, big ups to the Blazers. That's huge. I know they went through a lot of uh, turmoil when the football program, uh, rightful turmoil when the football program was ripped out of their hands, um, out of their control completely. So to see them bounce back in that way, that's awesome. For sure. All right. So we are Chowder and Grits. Visit us at chowderandgrits.com. We are now on the Apple iTunes podcast, Google Play Store, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and Stitcher. Follow us on Facebook. Tweet us at Chowder and Grits. <laughs> Tim, today was fun. To everyone out there listening, uh, log on to Facebook and smash that like button. 